0: The following presentation was recorded live by the Jewish Ethics Institute.
1: Document giving durable power of attorney to someone, or stating very clearly what your wishes are at the end of life. So many things that uh, you know. Basically, the the many times the hospital gets to make the decisions. I've been involved in many cases where ethics committees of hospital make decisions, doctors make the decisions um, without even consulting family members, and sometimes they consult family members that you didn't want them, that you might not agree with their decisions, or there's ulterior motives in the family members' decisions many times. So once a person becomes incapacitated, um, you do want to have some form of a defense directive or a durable power of attorney. We have with us today um, Mr. Dr. Ed Title, who happens to be there's only two uh, Jewish MDJDs that I know in town. One, we have them both here in the room, Alan Winters, and, and Mr. Title. So Mr. Title is, um, since he is a physician and an attorney, he's going to fill us in on some of the legal aspects of this that are relevant, not just as an attorney, but also in practical life, what you need to know. Um, and then we'll discuss it from the Torah perspective. You gotta know. So he's going to give some okay. introductory remarks.
2: Well, I always enjoy coming here because it's good food and good company.
1: What's um, what's your political affiliation? <coughs> we start?
2: Oh, I am a little to the right of Attila the Hun. Sure. Other other than that, you know, I love it. Record yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I put together a slide deck that I used when we talked about this once before. Um, so you may have you know some value I'm not going to go through the whole thing because I, I want this to be mostly on on the Jewish aspects but I have a few pet issues that I'd like to point out to you so I So this, this stuff does come up in, in legal cases and I think it's always fun to have at least a little bit of case law when we have a conference like this. So the Grotti case was interesting the, this patient was uh, dying on a ventilator and the doctor came in and put her finger put her thumb over the ventilator tube and speeded up the uh, uh, aspects of dying and she was convicted of murder and it was reversed on appeal this is a texas case and it it turned on the question of uh, was this person still an individual at the time she hastened death by putting her thumb over the breathing tube and the court uh, decided that the person was no longer uh, an individual under the definition of the law and reversed her murder conviction. She did go on and lose her medical license because her action uh, was outside the realm of accepted medical procedure. So
1: so at the end she wasn't convicted?
2: She was convicted at trial and the appeals court reversed it, murder. murder. I, I'm sorry, it was it was uh, manslaughter. manslaughter. So she was convicted of manslaughter for hastening the death of an individual but it turned out that the court looked for a fiction to, to salvage her and the, the fiction was uh, that based on the statute she was not, the, the patient was no longer actually an individual because she only had agonal breathing and couldn't have sustained herself uh, on her own. So it was an interesting case. And, and uh, So you always have to start uh, from the definition of death when you're looking at most of these cases. And this is really important when you're looking at legal wills and all end of life decisions. Because the question is, when do these things kick in? So, uh, living wills and durable powers of attorney don't kick in until the patient is, is terminal. And I think this is something that most people don't understand. Most people think if I have a DNR or a do not resuscitate order, that starts and is effective anytime, I never want to be. CPR and I never want to be put on a ventilator and that is absolutely not the case a living will does not even become activated until uh, uh, until the patient becomes a qualified patient and that qualification is that they're terminally ill in most most is situations
0: I I think for Texas or some jurisdictions is it's within six months that the terminal condition has to be within a certain time frame? Does that become important at
2: all? A terminal condition will produce quote, will produce death within six months even with available life-sustaining treatment provided in accordance with the prevailing standard of medical care. So that's outlined in the Texas Safety Code. So
1: right, I just want to point out that halacha has a different definition. It's more, actually more lenient in this case. Jewish law says terminal is considered anything within 12 months. If, if someone has a prognosis, they're going to die within a year, that's considered terminal. It's, um, or actually, so it's, it's not more lenient, it's actually more stringent in a certain sense. It depends which direction you're looking at it. But the point is, the halacha's definition of terminal is not the same as the legal definition. Right. So it's important to know that it's 12 months as opposed to 6 months.
2: And I think that it's important that you keep in mind that the terminal condition includes even with sustainable life, even with available life-sustaining treatment. So that means, to me, that if that patient would live with with the feeding tube for more than 6 months, but that is not a terminal illness if they would live on a ventilator for over six months uh, with available medical care that's not a terminal illness by definition so I, I think uh, for those of us who may at times have to advise physicians particularly as well as families and. Uh, Institutions, it's important to understand what these rules are because they're very well spelled out. So, there are institutional requirements. Uh, so, every institution that treats patients is required by statute to have a written policy that includes a clear and precise statement of any procedures the provider is unwilling or unable to provide or withhold in accordance with an advance directive. So if if an institution doesn't believe in something, they have to spell that out in a written policy that's made available to the patients on admission. There are rules as to who can uh, witness advance directives. It can't be a treating physician or a member of the, uh, or somebody that's in the will. So these are all, significant rules, Uh, there are rules for physicians, uh, and then there are the out of hospital do not resuscitate uh, requirements, and a couple things that physicians and lawyers advising them ought to know is that if a patient, even, even if they're incompetent, says at the time that they want treatment, even though they have a DNR order in place, their their desire trumps the written order. Even
1: if they're incompetent?
2: Even if they're incompetent. Well,
1: then so... If they're delusional, then they're saying they want...
2: If they want treated, if they if they say, uh, I don't care about that DNR, I want treatment, I want even you to know, put me on a ventilator, even if they're non-confused menace at the they're time, uh, that trumps. They get to they get to control on the side of life at any point in the process that they want to. Minors uh, Sir, what if it's the contrary? If they have a deal that they want to be kept alive and they decide they don't at that time? So. They, they can't if, if they're non conscious menace then either their power of attorney or their living will would would protect a physician that honors it assuming that they they want to but if they want to withdraw it even if they're incompetent at the time they want to withdraw it they can minors can withdraw um, a power of attorney or a judgment by parents or anybody else if they choose to live instead of uh, accept non-treatment and um, if if it's a pregnant woman they are to be treated regardless of, of anything else. You can never DNR a pregnant woman. So these even are if, important.
1: They, have a will, if though, they have
2: a living will pregnancy
1: overrides the a living will
2: the state has a compelling interest in so matter how far
1: the, the pregnancy
2: is advanced? The no, no matter how early or how late. If they're known to be pregnant, you must treat them to the fullest extent possible. So can you comment particularly the rabbi? Are there it's any scenarios
0: right. under which um, you know in the several states that recognized assisted suicide, one can only imagine that legislative changes like that can create some pretty serious
1: conundrum for not just this position but also for us as lawyers. Right. So,
0: and on the hot of course, my understanding of Jewish law is, "Thou shalt not kill." Is you know. One of the big, biggies, but are there
2: any scenarios? Can you comment on that at all? Or uh, the the issue really revolves around understanding the patient's wishes. So, if you have, for example, a power of attorney, uh, the the key is. If you know the patient's wishes, that rules. So the power of attorney is supposed to act as the patient would, and if the if it's not known what the patient's wishes are, then they're required to act in the patient's interest. So all of these rules basically err on the side of life. I don't know that that's going to be in the future, but as we sit here today, the rules are you, you err on the side of life. Uh, excuse me. Ed, can I say one thing?
0: Yeah. The uh, law doesn't say don't kill. It says don't, don't murder. murder. Yeah. It's a big difference. Well, there
2: is a big difference, but.
1: I'll talk to. I'll, I'll address it. Uh, you know it. where I'm going. Yeah, you know what yeah I'm I'll gonna address, address, address it. To, um, okay. I just wanna. I will, huh?
2: I'll I yeah. Yeah. I, I was done. I think you'll have quite a bit yes. more to say on that. It's a very interesting case that arose, and I'm kind of curious
3: about the uh, the Texas statute that, that you uh, cite in terms of how pregnancy would override uh, whatever the wishes are of the mother in 1990, um, and. Cases widely reported and the Miller family went on TV after this. Right. Uh, the uh, Sydney Miller was born at the 22nd, 23rd week. Uh, uh, Carla, the mother, had a severe infection. The doctor said, Look, we can do one of two things. We can treat Carla uh, right now, but the, the meds that we give her is going to kill the baby. Right. Um, or we can maintain her right now as long as we can. Take care of the baby, um, and and then see what happens. We can terminate the pregnancy, whatever. And, and the Miller said, you know, let God do His will. Um, no heroic means, because ultimately they had to they had to give Carla And so the next question they asked was, what you know, what do you want us to do with the baby? You want us to use any heroic means? And the family said clearly, no. Let God do His will. Well, Sydney was born. Um, and they warned you know they warned them what all the, the side effects would be, um, and what uh, Texas Children's Hospital did was effectively they used heroic means despite the fact they asked they asked uh, the parents to sign a, uh, a waiver and they refused to do it. The uh, the Millers, um, uh, Carla got better. Um, Sydney uh, today is. Um, uh, t- almost 25 years old, and uh, she's profoundly retarded, she's blind, uh, she's got cerebral palsy. I mean, she's fully involved, and it's, it's, it's been, uh, it's been financially, obviously, very, very difficult for the family. Uh, they've had two healthy kids since that time, thank God, they're doing great. Um, but, and, and they love Sydney, and they've, they've never thought about putting her home, although many people have recommended it, they take very good care of her. The Millers sued. Texas yeah. Children's for wrongful life. They got a jury award of sixty-eight million dollars and a ten to two verdict. And the two uh, jurors that uh, were against the verdict both told the attorneys afterwards that the reason why they voted against the verdict was that they thought that the number should have been higher. Um, there was never yeah, there was never an offer from HCA. Um, H.C. had been to file for uh, bankruptcy or they, they tried to put it's that one here. subsidiary, that's the, the, the uh, uh, Hospital Corporate of America, who owned Texas Children's at the time. Not Texas Children's, I'm sorry, Texas Women's. I made a big mistake, I'm sorry, it's Texas <laughs> Women's Hospital. Um, at any rate, Court of Appeals uh, rejected uh, the argument and overturned the jury verdict. Mm-hmm on the theory that there is no such thing as wrongful life, and that was the suit. But from what you're saying, that probably was the better defense, is that whatever the Miller signed or didn't sign was irrelevant. I think they had a breach of contract um, claim in there as well,
2: as I recall. I'm not familiar with that particular case, but but at the end of the day, uh, when when you have truly conflicting uh, mother versus Child, uh, the law really doesn't spell out a lot, but you would err on the side of the mother, and that certainly is Jewish law. I believe so. I what think. What do you
1: mean by "what do you mean by err on the side of the mother"?
2: The, the mother's life trumps the the fetus's yeah. life. At, at the
3: point of yes. treat Carla versus treat the fetus, right. or don't treat right. Carla to preserve right. the fetus. But to, once right.
2: the once the baby is born. I, I think that they were on solid ground doing whatever they could to help the baby. Yeah,
3: that's what it sounds like.
2: And I, I think they would,
3: would win on that argument. And ultimately the Court of Appeals and then the Supreme Court affirmed
2: the Court of Appeals I, uh, did conclude the, the state that is uh, always, the hospital had a responsibility. The state is always considered to have a compelling interest in the welfare of the child, whether it's a fetus or, or post-birth. And while the mother made Trump, when in a balancing act, uh, we, we never sacrifice the fetus. And there have even been cases where mothers have been required to be kept a, uh, basically alive as an incubator for the fetus, even with brain death. The state has intervened and taken control of the woman's body after they've been pronounced brain dead as an incubator for the baby.
1: Okay, well, we, need, we need to start. To, yeah. <laughs> we'll, get, we'll get to the questions at the end. So the, the, there's so many issues here. Um, uh, th- I think this is, just shows why it's so important to have a, a some form of a living will is because I mean there's so many potential issues, um, not only end of life, as we see the beginning of life, um, that can come up. Um, and you're not always going to be able to make those decisions to be competent making them. Therefore, that's, that's I think the key reason to make sure that you um, you have a living will. You speak to an attorney, a rabbi, whoever, whoever would it, depending on it, what type of living will you want to talk about. But the the sub, almost every issue that was touched upon here has halakhic ramifications. That means the Torah has its own view as to what, as you mentioned, what's considered murder. Um, what would be uh, does quality of life play a role? How do you treat a um, when time of death? All these issues are are discussed within Jewish law, and many times contradict or are very different than what Texas Taylor or or secular or all Western law might be. Um, so just to touch upon a few of them, the first thing is is um, we mentioned time. Someone with the question of when? When is someone dead? So that's a key question here. In most of these cases, is brain death considered dead? Is not. So, so the first thing I want to mention is that this is my view: is that the question of time of death, which we have today, meaning today in the medical world, is almost accepted in Western medicine that brain death is considered dead. Um, it is very in halacha. It's not clear at all. There are different opinions, as we'll discuss. But, but more so. I believe it's not really a question, it's not a medical question. Because time of death is really, if you think about it, it's a theological question. Every religion, the time of almost, according to all uh, the major religions, I can't speak for all of them, but for the ones I can speak for, um, is uh, death is defined as when the soul leaves the body. So clearly that's not a medical issue, that's a, that's a uh, theological question. So every religion needs to define at which point the soul is leaving the body. So it really has nothing to do with medicine, um, and, and the question then becomes, what happens if someone's religious values contradict um, what the law is saying is a time of death? So for example, I, I had a, I was, uh, um, I was testified in front of the, or I went attended many meetings at MD Anderson's uh, ethics committee where this, this was an issue, where they had a patient. The patient was brain dead or, or the patient was quality of life and they felt they can't do anything for him. They want to kick the patient out of the hospital. And the family said, listen, we still want to treat or we don't believe he's dead. Meaning just because you're saying brain is dead, we believe as long as the heart is still beating, he's halachically still alive. So what do you do in those cases? Um, is is that and, I, and legally I'm not sure the question being does the patient have a right to say the hospital saying he's dead? The patient says no, but according to my beliefs, um, or, the, or the, not the patient, the patient can't talk anymore. But the family saying this patient is really still alive. So how does that work? They force the hospital conti- to continue treating a patient yeah. who the hospital believes technically or medically Let me just is dead.
2: briefly address that. The, the statute actually spells out a procedure for when there's a disagreement there with uh, where the institution is required to treat against their own best judgment for the patient's family has 10 days to find a location uh, that would either appeal it or find a location that would accept the patient under their terms so there is a pretty detailed set of rules for what to do when there's a disagreement between the Institution, the family, on, on
1: the cases case. that I was consulted on, um, two cases, MD uh, Anderson, there was no claim. I mean, the, the family had a threat and went to lawsuit until right. the hospital finally complied. Well, there, there, happened, there,
2: there's a pretty detailed set of rules uh, in the statute
1: that, that and This wasn't even a because this was a case where the hospital just said, We don't, we but can't do anything fut- more for futile, it. It's futile. And we don't right, want right. to just take him up a bed and we don't want to treat him. The family said, listen, he's talking, He's and and his patient, they gave him like a few weeks. He lived like another year and a half. Right. So
0: when you say lived, though, Rabbi...
1: He lived, he went home, he was talking, I and mean, totally, you know, did he go cold. to work every day? I mean, I don't think that was... No, 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 I he don't, Go to the racetrack. You in know.
0: many of these cases, what can become very troubling is where that
2: line is between... As I always say, you know, when someone is really brain dead dead it's easy and when they're sitting up and having a conversation with you it's easy it's these in areas in between the gray
1: areas. so that's that's going to lead question which is the quality of life issue so i just want to finish on the brain death issue so brain dead in jewish law the majority of opinions do agree within Jewish law, the brain that is considered dead. Um, there are There is a minority of opinions, who of ethicists and rabbis, who say, no, it's a station of the heart. And this is all it's a question of actually bringing that proof text from the Talmud, from the, from the Torah itself. What's it, what's the defini- definition of life? Is it breathing or is it heart? beating of the heart? How do we define life? And the question was really irrelevant until the invention <coughs> of the ventilator, because up until that point, um, you you know usually when your brain stops functioning, it you will know, just a matter of a few you know minutes before those, the heart stops beating. But now that we have this technology, that's where it becomes a question of to have someone whose brain stopped functioning but their heart is still they're not spontaneously breathing but they're as uh, uh, part of the test. If you can open that. <laughs> it's,
2: it's I know there's a way to do this, and <coughs> transplants have really changed that a lot too because there you go we have to declare a patient as dead in order to in take order out the organs. In order to harvest their but organs but you have to keep them, uh, the organs perfused and functioning right. until they're removed. So.
1: Right, so we'll get to that. It's also a good question. So uh, organ transplantation, because this is very relevant. If you can have a living will or if you have a license, uh, can you donate your organs? A different, uh, it's relevant to the same question. So it's one thing at a time. So so again, brain death is, seems to be two opinions. The state of Israel, um, Rabbanut, which is the, um, which sort of, in a certain sense, um, controls many, ma- much of the, of many of these medical decisions, or moral and ethical decisions within the state of Israel, say, agrees that brain dead is considered dead um, within the state of Israel. So they have a law, but but any family can choose um, to, to stay on a ventilator. Um, if, they, if their beliefs are the cessation of heart. So that's the state of Israel. Um, again, within, within Judaism, there's these various opinions. So when it comes down to it, um, the, the other question you're dealing with, which is you mentioned, which is the question of quality of life. So someone who is brain dead or near brain dead, the question is, do we have is futile treatment? The hospital saying there's nothing we can do. What, can, they just, can we just say, okay, we don't treat them or not? How does that work? Um, can someone write a DNR? So halakha, in that sense, is very strict. Um, that's why I put down here. The sense of quality of life almost—I um, don't I say never, but really plays a role in these decisions. Because again, the, the concept is, and if you see it on top here, on D, on the second page, the concept is that um, in—I think its its, it's say it's one of the moral problems I think in this country is. We define people by their, their lives, by their productivity, by how much money they make, um, You know, whether they made their first million or not. That's how we define um, human life, which is not the way the Torah defines it. So we, what the Torah says is human life is inherently of infinite value. It means if someone's going to be alive, even for one second, now the fact that they're not producing and they're not uh, making millions doesn't um, make their life any less value. Um, the fact that they're not productive in any which way. Just being alive, if you view, which is really the Torah's view, if you view life as life in itself is of infinite value. So it means one second of life, um, that someone could live one second longer or ten days longer, is of infinite value, because obviously you can't, you know, it's one day or 24 hours or even an hour is very important. So for example, the Talmud talks about if you have a building collapse, like you have, let's say, now in Nepal, So, an earthquake, is a building collapse, and there's someone, they, you come to a to a patient, you come to a victim who's underneath the rubble, um, but you, there's no, it's Shabbat. So, of course, you'll have to violate Shabbat to save a life. Now, once you deem the person dead, you have to stop removing the rubble because you can't violate Shabbos to save a corpse. Okay, once the person's dead, you can't violate Shabbat. Just just to get a corpse out, you can do that Saturday night. You can wait till the next day. To save a life, of course, you violate Shabbat. So, says the Talmud, let's say you come to a corpse and you're not sure if he's alive or not, Let's say the person's skull is smashed in and you know they're only going to live for another hour or two. Okay, says so the Talmud, you're still allowed to violate Shabbat to save that person, even though you, you know there's no question they're only going to live for another hour if you rescue them. Because since, again, this concept of life is of infinite value, quality of life is irrelevant. There are cases we'll see it is relevant, but in most cases, the fact that you, this person can live, you have an obligation to rescue that person. Okay, um, now th- and that's also where the Talmud discusses What's, how do you define if the person's alive or dead? those days, they didn't have the technology. Is it autonomous breathing? Is it deep, in, in those days, they would just put a feather in front of the nose of the person, see if the feather moves. Um, or do you check the heartbeat? Do you have to check for pulse? You know, meaning, you're removing the rubble and you're at the bottom half of the body, um, or you're starting from the top. Do you have to stop once the, you see the person's not breathing? So there's a lot of discussion there about the definition of death. Again, it wasn't such a practical question in those days, um, but but. This, this issue of quality of life is a very important uh, concept, um, where quality of life almost really plays a role. There are going to be cases where, let's say, so therefore, DNR is almost irrelevant. The person can't just decide they have cancer, and they're not going to be treated, or they're just going to say, well, I don't want to be treated, or if I have a heart attack, don't resuscitate me. Since, because the key point is, which is the next point here, which is in Western ethics, in medical ethics especially, Um, But I think this has become a predominant factor in in all ethics, which is autonomy, that the patient has a right to decide what's going to happen to their body. Okay, it's my body, I get to decide, right? So, and I think we discussed this here in the past in a different context, uh, we don't believe in the feminist creed of our bodies ourselves, we own our bodies, therefore we get to decide what we do with our bodies. Judaism doesn't believe in that. We believe you don't own your body, as Rush Limbaugh says, you know, it's on loan from God, right? Well, our bodies are all loan from God. Some says that. Not our bodies. He says the brain is all but, but that's a different story. So I a quick question. Let me, let me just finish my point and then i my, my, my thought. So uh, so the point is since we don't own our bodies, you, we can't make the decisions what happens them, since they're not ours to decide. So just because we decide we don't want to live anymore, just like, which is interesting because even in American society where autonomy rules, patient autonomy, you get to decide, but of course, uh, almost every state still has a law. As you mentioned before, you can't commit suicide. Right? You, you get arrested if you attempt uh, suicide. Right? So, so take your you way you in handcuffs. Right? Only if you fail. Right? So, the, so the point is, clearly we agree that there's some line that you don't have a right to decide what happens to your right. life. Okay, even even in our American society. So halacha is the other extreme, which says we never get it's not up to you to decide. A person is diagnosed with an illness, they can't say, well, I don't want to be treated. Um, you know, I'd rather die. Okay, I have a brother actually who's a physician. He, he, uh, um, he, <coughs> when he turned over fifty, he said, "You got to get a colonoscopy." So he took it one year. He said, "I'd rather get colon cancer than take another colonoscopy." <laughs> he doesn't go for colonoscopy. He doesn't care. He said, "I'd rather die than get a colonoscopy." So, so that's prohibited halach. He's actually a rabbi and a doctor, um, but the point is uh, right. So you you can't. It's not your right to say that. Part of being Jewish is you have to stay healthy. You need to keep your body healthy again, because it's not ours. So- It
2: depends so on the risk of, of finding something.
1: What do you mean, if we can't ask? It,
2: uh, under Howard God, saying, is it if, if there's a very low probability that yeah, a Yeah, well, I had, I had a sister at Golgotha, get so that's
1: why they made it. So, uh, so um, yeah, you're right. Obviously, it doesn't mean you have to take every test out there right. daily. Or, but the point being is, so this concept of autonomy is is a. Key point where halacha disagrees with Western ethics. Yes? So
0: here's my question. <coughs> my understanding, and I'm asking you to help here, is that in halacha, as you're saying, the body is a gift for Not a, a gift, gift, it's a, a loan. loan for yeah. it. Where does the caretaker so Where does that about? put in halacha in terms of organ transplant, or you have your brother who needs a kidney and you've got a matching kidney? Can
1: you comment on that? Yes, yeah, so get, we'll get to organ transplantation soon. Sorry. Um, yes, yeah, so that's a good Just point. Meaning, uh, that's a very good point. How does it work with organ transplantation? So the point I want to make is, I put it down here. Um, so, so which is that So because of this conflict with Western ethics and halacha, so m- most of the cases rarely will a DNR be allowed according, if, according to strict halacha. There are cases, of course, if a patient is terminal, and we define terminal before us within someone who is, you know, is supposed to, or the doctors say he's going to die within the year, um, and they're they have they're in extreme pain, and they're it's futile. To, there's really nothing we can do to help them. So, for example, say someone is has some type of cancer, and then they get pneumonia. Okay, so then in those cases, we're not obligated to treat the pneumonia, or to give to treat the secondary treatment if they're terminal and they're in extreme pain. They can opt, again, it's, it's that, in that case, is where autonomy might come in for the patient to decide. They don't have to be treated on a secondary disease. or, or But in almost all cases, standard um, treatment of nutrition, hydration, and oxygen is always going to be required. We're never going to allow that, um, not, not to give that to someone, except, of course, if someone's really, truly, literally at the end stages of life where you're just prolonging his death, so to speak. That's different, because the halacha does say that uh, someone who's in the throes of death, you're not supposed to um, get in the way of them dying. You're not supposed to do anything. You're not supposed to take a pillow or move a pillow or don't touch them because you might prolong their their dying. That's literally at the literally end stages of life. But anything before that, it's almost always going to be DNR um, is going to be problematic. Um, again, unless the terminal patient where the care is futile. Okay. But just for someone to make a decision that no, I, w- I don't want to live anymore, That is that in itself is is almost never going to be allowed, assuming they, they could be treated and live. So this is, it's an important thing in general, meaning we're, as, as Jews, of course, we're very pro-medicine. You know, uh, mothers are very proudly, right, doctor, son's a doctor. I have a brother who's a doctor, you know, the rabbi is not. <laughs> bottom of the totem pole in the family. The doctor gets, uh, you know, that's what my mother's proud of. Um, I've been in therapy for many years. <laughs> um, the, the 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 point is that going? Um, okay, so the, po- the point is that medicine, right? We believe we don't believe as other religions, which say, okay, you know, I have faith in God. And, you know, I got I was diagnosed with cancer. I trust in God. God will will, will heal me. I'm not going to go get treatment. On the contrary, Judaism requires you again because your body is unknown from God, so we, you have to get treated, you have to take care of your body. You can't do anything that, that risks that, that risks your health, such as smoking, according to almost all authorities today. Smoking is prohibited, cigarette smoking, not marijuana. Um, that was a different discussion we had. But cigarette smoking is prohibited because we know it's, it's dangerous and it causes illness. Therefore, it would be prohibited halakhically today.
0: But you can anything box. that will
1: danger your life.
0: You can smoke uh, salmon, right?
1: Salmon?
2: always. Make flowers. Lock. <laughs>
1: <laughs> Okay, so, so but, but that's
2: I actually very you. new because it used to be that Yeah, well, the we told original halakha yeah. was you could smoke because the the risk was far enough right. down I told the, the Surgeon
1: the General's report, <laughs> even after the Surgeon General, it was unclear, I mean, they used <laughs> to think in the 30s it was healthy, 40s. How, they just
0: Doctors were, having um, Coke actually and had and not received and and commercial and benefits. Right. That's right. So so again, it's not so going to kill
1: you. Everything will kill you if you don't have, you know, if you do it excessively, yes, Coke can kill you. You're right. If you drink, you know... Twenty cokes a day, it's probably halakhically prohibited. But as long as you do, I mean, everything today. There's studies. There's moderation. nothing you do today that won't kill you if you don't do it in moderation, right? So, so you're right. If, if uh, someone has red meat three times a day for breakfast, lunch, and supper, it's probably halachic problem. Speak think, to your local I think,
0: rabbi. I think a greater problem is obesity. You have these massively obese it's also people. Like, the room, you, sure a lot of them are rabbis.
1: <laughs> well, <laughs> right, <it's> everything. <laughs> This is a stressful is, job, Alan, Rabbi It's bad. a very stressful do- job. <laughs> it's very, David stressful David job. It's very stressful job. Very stressful job. Let's not get personal. He's old, so it's okay. <laughs> not the um, anyway, so, the, so, so getting so now the question becomes so getting back to organ donation, your issue of organ donation. Um, so how does it work if you want to donate your organ? So if, uh, if it's a live donation, kidney donation, which is live, that's fine because there's no, I mean, it's a minor risk to your life. By the way, that's why we, and we've discussed this here in other in other contexts, that you're not obligated. Let's say you know someone who needs a kidney, okay, and you, c- you are the right match. You're not obligated to donate that kidney because there's some risk involved. So meaning I'm not obligated to save someone else's life if there's a risk to my life, okay? But but the, the since there's minimal risk, we allow you to do it. It's, it's, a, it's a beautiful thing. It's a mitzvah. But it's not an obligation. Okay, normally, like we mentioned many times, rescue is an obligation. If you see someone drowning, according to Jewish law, you're obligated to jump in and save them, assuming you know how to swim. If you don't know how to swim, then if you're risking your own life, then of course you, you, you're...
0: But you save yourself first. Yeah, but, but then, Yes. But why so is Judaism usually you donate your body parts? No. You don't. Talk,
1: well, well, we'll talk about that. There's no risk
2: to you. Afterwards,
1: you're dead. No, so, I'm, so, I'll explain that. So, you're, so, so first, first, live donation. So, kidney donation, let's say live kidney. Live donation, okay. live donation is is technically fine. It's, it's not an obligation, but it's a nice mix, so it's a good thing. I actually recently had a personal case uh, of uh, interesting ethical dilemma, not related to the class, so I'll just mention it, where I was contacted. I'm on the National Bone Marrow Registry. Um, when I was in high school, they were looking for the phone, so I, I got registered. I got a call. This is a few uh, weeks before Passover, two weeks before Passover. That I'm a match for someone. So he said I have to go for a blood tests, um, you know, to check to make sure that I'm. So they said I could only go on Monday and Tuesday. I said why? To the lab here in Houston. They'll, they'll know. So he said because they have to overnight the blood to Germany. It's so the guys in Germany. So my question was at that point was this guy? I, my I'm a my father was a Holocaust survivor. Do I want to save some. 80-year-old German guy who might have killed my grandparents and my uncles and aunts. That was my ethical dilemma. What did you do? So, so far, I mean, I haven't heard back from them. They said it's going to take 60 days. Um, so you've got, nice you got some time to think about it. Yeah. So I'm hoping they won't come back. But If not, I'm hoping I'll probably do it and then hopefully, you know, get, a, get on 60 Minutes or make some like human interest story, sell a book. That's my goal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we, but, That's an uh, interesting story. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I'm not sure. I, I've consulted a few people. I, yeah, I, I don't know.
2: The simple fact that he's German. Yeah,
1: it could be some old Jewish guy. It might be my uncle, I don't know. But if he's not
2: know. Jewish, do you have the same obligation?
3: Or feeling? We uh, can't talk about it with the tape recorder on. Is it a
1: mid-stop? Is it a to get Jewish.
3: The non-Jewish guy? He's
1: uh, not so simple. I don't want to. Uh, is, is going on the web, but but technically speaking, the Torah, the obligation of rescue. It says, "Osama al Do not stand idly by your fellow's blood. The assumption it means someone who fellow fellow Jew. That's the yeah. That's a simple interpretation. Doesn't mean you can't do it. It just means you're not you're not obligated for fellow Jew. You're obligated. Right? So quick If, you're, if
3: yeah. you're dying, you're going to die next hour, a couple hours, imminent. Can you
1: donate organs? Okay, so here's the question. So, so okay, let's get that. Dead to uh, non-life donation. So, so basically, the, way the the issue is like this: If you believe brain dead is dead, then there's no problem because once you're dead, there's no. It's a myth. People think Judaism is against organ donation. On the contrary, it's a mitzvah. You can save someone's life. It's a beautiful thing. People say, Oh, you're not going to get resurrected. Not getting buried with all your parts. Everything gets overridden in the Torah. Any commandment gets overridden to save a human life. There's no question about that. The question is, you can't kill someone to save another life, as we said. So in other words, if you want to donate your heart, someone who needs a heart, and you're still alive, you can't do that. So so it boils down to this issue of before, of the time of death, meaning if we say brain dead, halakhically according to Jewish law, is dead, then of course there's no problem. A person is on a ventilator, they harvest his organs, you, it's a mitzvah to donate all your organs to save someone's life. Really? Um, the question is, if you hold brain dead is not dead. That means the heart's still beating, so there's, it's very narrow window. Meaning to harvest organs, the, you know, the, basically has to be you have I don't know what it is, something like a probably a 45-minute window. Once the heart stops beating, depending on the organ, different organs have different, sh- uh, let's say shelf life, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, okay. I, th- I think
0: I think I've heard for some reason I have it in my mind. That Jewish law was against no, you. No, know, so it's a myth. Mean, that's, you know, that's what I'm saying. It's, it's, people don't know. It's back. total
1: myth. It's ridiculous, top. but you're saving a life. So everything that's okay, over... No, I like the so. idea. Total Me myth. It's so a total myth. Know. The problem is like this. So this is the problem. If you put on the back of your license that you want it, you just check off, donate your organs. The problem is in many cases, and there's a shortage of organs in this wonderful country. You don't no, there's good medical care, but they might harvest your organs a little too early when right. you're still alive. Mm-hmm. Okay, when, how ha- are halachically still alive? Okay, and then the problem is you're killing someone to save someone else's life. That's murder. You can't murder someone to save someone else's life. So that's the issue. So the solution Sorry, you're is. Are you worried
3: about whether you get the mitzvah or not
1: at that stage <laughs> in your life? <laughs> of course. You're going to come figure. up to Pearly Gates. Well, you hey, want to get every mitzvah you want. Yeah, but you can only get mitzvahs while you're alive. Yeah, but here's that the point. You could even get brownie points after you're dead. Because if someone's living because of you. So that guy's thicker, as long as he's doing mitzvahs. Now you're going to be getting you're getting all those want to. So I want to point out, I'm going to pass this around. So this is a beautiful thing. I'm not coming here. I'm not coming here to promote them. So it's called HODE. So they have a website, Hodes.org, which stands for Halachic Organ Donation Society. And what's this amazing thing these guys did? So what they, they did is have an organ donation card, which says the first thing is. Um, is you put the number of your rabbi on the back. So, if something happens to you, they have to call your rabbi to prove anything gets. They can't harvest anything or do anything until your rabbi approves. Don't put my number, please. Um, <laughs> 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 okay, um, that's number one, so, so it has your emergency contact. But the, the other amazing thing is it has here where you can check off what your, when you want your orv- or your, har- your organs harvested. Number one is, it says here, I'll read you the back here, it says, "I, Yassi Grossman, agree to donate my organs for the life-saving transplantation. Not for research, because again, it's only to save a life you can do it. Research would be the problem you're talking about, because you don't desecrate a dead body just for research. Okay, so it's not for research, and only after the option checked below. So the two options checked are like this irreversible unconsciousness and irreversible cessation of autonomous breathing confirmed by whole brain death including the brainstem diagnosed by clinical testing including apnea test and confirmatory blood flow testing this is the opinion of the chief rabbit of israel that's option number one option number two is which i have checked is irreversible cessation of heartbeat from a medical perspective this limits the number of organs that may be recovered all preparations for transplant must be done in consultation with the family appointed rabbi all medical procedures must be done with the utmost care respect and minimum da- damage to the cadaver. And then you can check off which organs you want to donate. Which to donate corneas, heart, intestines, kidneys, liver, lungs, pancreas, and skin. Well, I, didn't know, I, I didn't know I checked all that. So now the interesting thing is why, why could you donate a cornea? It's not saving a life. Um, so this was a case, fascinating case. I don't know if you remember this was like 25 years ago in Israel. There was a um, girl from New Jersey who was blown up on a bus, one of the bus terror attacks, and her father' name was Lisa, Lisa, or Lisa Flattow. Flattow. Remember that story?
0: Lisa.
1: Flattow was her name. Flattow. 18, 17-year-old right. girl, 18-year-old yeah. girl. She and the father actually donated, and her corn went to some Palestinian, actually got her corneas It was a big news story. But anyway, the point being is that the, the rabbis. she was a, an Orthodox girl, the reason why she was allowed to donate her is even though it's not saving a life, is because the Talmud says that someone who's blind is as if they're dead. So we view uh, curing blindness as saving a life. It's an interesting side note. But anyway, this, so this is a, it's a beautiful thing. I'll pass it around if wants to take a look at it. Um, but you can go to their website. The other thing is there's a website um, called J-Law. They may even have it on this website too, jlaw.com, which stands for jewishlaw.com. So it's actually a website run by attorneys and has all relevant uh, American law, relevant. To, so they have for every state a halachic living will, that a will, living will that um, fits with the state of Texas. They have there, you can click on the state of Texas. Everything, I mean, because every state has different various laws, so the, the point is they have their form specifically for Texas that you can fill out, um, take it to your attorney that conform with halakh. So what was your question?
0: One of the issues is about cremation and the reasons we don't do that. So one thought that occurs to me is, is there any crossover about once the death has occurred, the integrity of the body remains from a halachic perspective intact in terms of the fulfillment of...
1: Right, so there is a yes for sure. There's so a concept of not desecrating a body. We discussed it here in the past. We, had, I, I actually uh, was was a defendant by testified in a case uh, where the against Harris County medical examiner, because so they wanted to do an autopsy on a on a guy, a Jewish fellow. There's no reason to do an autopsy. Desecrating a body is prohibited in the Torah, no question. about Cutting a body, but if there's if you can save a life by desecrating a body. Of course we go ahead and do that. Cremation, you're not, there's no reason so to How does Paul reconcile
0: this? Because my understanding, and again I'm asking, mm-hmm. is the reason that we don't do autopsies is because ultimately when the Mashiach comes, is, is to come, he's to recycle. That's, recycle. that's not water. the reason.
1: The reason that is it's prohibited to that's great. The body housed the soul, therefore it's a holy thing. You did mitzvahs yeah. with your body your all life serve God with your body. Your body is a holy thing. We don't desecrate a body. There is a concept that, but that's ridiculous because the body rots anyway. Um, you know, yeah, you die, you that's
2: <laughs> Under Under American jurisprudence, there's a big difference uh, in pre-death versus right. post-death because prior to death, most of these issues are resolved under privacy issues versus property issues, which Obtain after
1: death, that it becomes quasi property. <laughs> right. Right. I, I, right and so Jewish law it's not a property sense. issue. It's it's an issue of, of the body itself. The body is Even if I, even if according to Jewish law, technically, obviously legally, it's not going to work. But I've actually been consulted on cases like this where the the the, the deceased person wrote they want to be cremated, and and according to halacha, you're not allowed to listen. You're not you're not supposed to cremate them. even if they asked to be cremated. According to Jewish law, you're not allowed to create a body, so you can't, shouldn't do it even if it's against the wishes of, so it's we gone mean, to court,
0: the reason, there are cases. The reason, and the reason for that is what?
1: Because the body is, is uh, it has to do with the resurrection, there's a concept, the Torah says you should be buried in the ground, the Torah says you should bury a body in the ground, and part of it is, the assumption is because of the resurrection, the future resurrection. I had a case actually, where I was consulted on, where there was a Holocaust survivor, whose son claimed that his mother wanted to be cremated he uh, was the only son and he said she had lost the children in Auschwitz cremated and she and this is what the son claimed is she wants to go the same way her kids went which was wow. fast case yeah. <laughs> and the, and someone hired a lawyer to fight the son in order not to have the mother cremated and consulted and there's no legal standing the son said this was her wishes I mean there was nothing in writing but so we didn't end up going to court. It was ridiculous. But I, I met with the son. I tried to talk him out of it. Didn't work. <laughs> Not that good in the same A similar deal. Some lady came here asking
0: me to stop a cremation. Oh, the same one. Okay. The same
1: case. I remember she, oh, <laughs> I remember, she oh, <laughs> I remember she called you. Okay.
0: Yes. know over, over my office.
1: I remember that. <laughs> I yeah. No, I had a friend his was having His father cremated,
0: and Maxer was like crazy about it. So he so said, "That's the guy's wishes. That's his father's wishes. I'm not going to interfere. I tell
2: him the pros and cons." Yes, yeah,
1: so there was. There, it has gone to the, in New York State. There was a case um, where they got to court with a family a woman. The kids want the cremated, and the other kids did. It was a fight with some kids that were Orthodox. They went to court, um, and I believe they lost. Uh, Right. Well, it's
0: a different position for a court, for sure, because of, you know, in effect, the court is assuming a role as an agency of the government, as, a, as one of the branches of government to take a position in this kind of a case. And it becomes extremely right. sensitive. Yeah. Yes. The cremation
1: is, I um, mean, clearly is prohibited in Jewish law. There's no right. question. So much so that I, I had, I was, consul- I, I was asked questions, that, government and I asked, just, I asked. Um, do you, you don't, in many cases, the chaver Kadisha if the body is being cremated, won't even do a tarah, they won't put the proper, usually before they prepare the body for burial, there's like a whole process that's not, right. um, they won't do it if the body is going to be cremated, um, what I've, what I've, the uh, halacha that I got a ruling on was that you don't do a, you don't even do a tar on their body, because if they're going against the wishes of halacha, so you don't even do but it's, but, it's, but it's not a good thing. I mean, I, there's, unfortunately, today in America, it's becoming very commonplace. Even in the Jewish community, it's very, it's much cheaper. It's easier, well, people are Jewish cheaper Jewish than burials. now has yeah. a whole right.
0: nation cremation yeah. program.
1: Right. So, right, so it's unfortunate, but any case, H-O-D-S dot com. <laughs>
0: um, Actually, that no, that
1: sorry. Actually, the reason I am it was to is or whatever, if that were,
0: yeah. that was only viable.
2: Well, yeah, no law. choice.
1: Cheap. yeah, they're not cheap. Not cheap. Um, Funerals are very
2: uh, expensive. That's what uh-huh. I'm so I want uh, to be... You're profiting
1: debt. Anyway, speak to your local attorney, to your local <laughs> rabbi about uh, writing a li- li- living will. It's a good thing.
2: I, I used to, to know a...
0: Shalom.